week, we began to look at Article 1 of our Confession, and this afternoon we are going to, to finish it off. And just to refresh our memory, so last week we looked first at God's nature, and we began to look at the Lord's attributes after that. The Lord's attributes or the Lord's excellencies, as the Apostle Peter calls them in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And I'd like to read that verse again, where the Apostle Peter writes to us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness to his, into his marvelous light. And it is good to read this verse again because we are then right away reminded of why we must know those excellencies of God. We must know these things because we must proclaim them to others. It's not enough that we tell others that God is awesome. The Lord wants us also to explain why we say this. So to summarize what we have looked at last Sunday afternoon, then first of all, that th there is only one God. There are no other gods. We read that also in our scripture reading this afternoon. All other gods are gods that are invented and elevated to that status by men who know that God exists, but suppress that knowledge by their wickedness. So, only one God. And this one God is also one. Or to say it with the words of our article, he is a simple being, remember? That means then that God is a simple being, that God does not consist of different parts, like we do, as we consist of a body and a soul, body and spirit, which, if you separate them, ends our existence. God is one. And then we also looked at that God is a spirit. And now God's spirituality, God's being a spirit, goes closely together with his simplicity, with his being one. As I said, we, we exist in two parts, in a body and a spirit. But God is only spirit. He is one. And that means then, maybe you remember that we said that, that God cannot contradict himself, meaning that God cannot and will not do anything that is not good for himself. Needless to say that this is all, of course, very difficult for us to get our mind around. And that is then why the confession also states that God is incomprehensible. It is impossible to fully understand him. We cannot get our mind around him. God is too great. He is too wonderful for the human mind to get around, to comprehend. God is so great and God is so holy, so totally different from us that we cannot even begin to, compl to, to completely know him. And what we know about him is only what he has revealed to us about himself. 
And most of us, if not all of us, have already real difficulty to even understand the things that he has revealed about himself to us. The thing is that we are called by the Lord not to understand, but to believe it. He calls us to believe what he has revealed about himself. He never called us to understand everything that he revealed about himself. We cannot get our mind around his eternity. We don't. But he calls us to believe that he is eternal. Is he trying to dig into those hidden things of God, the things that he has not revealed to us, is a very perilous thing to do. John Calvin, who was truly one of the greatest thinkers of all times, said this about a person who would try to search the hidden things of God. He said, then he cast himself into the depths of a bottomless whirlpool to be swallowed up. He tangles himself into innumerable and inextricable snares and he buries himself in an abyss of sightless darkness. Too many people have lost and will lose their faith entirely by trying to make sense out of the greatness and the mysteries of God. There are those mysteries, for example, of God's predestination, of of God's providence. People could not leave it alone, and they had to ask all kinds of questions that they couldn't answer and nobody else could answer. And they lost their faith. They could not and they would not accept the very fact that God is just greater than they are. That the power of his mind, of his mind endlessly surpasses theirs. Now for you who are following along now in article one, you may have noticed that I skipped that it also says that God is eternal. And that is like I just said, also one of the things which is impossible for us to understand, to grasp with our mind, that God is eternal means that he is not subject to time. God exists outside of time. Regarding God's eternity, there is no yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There is no early or later. He lives in eternity, in the eternal present, you could say. Thousand years are by him as one day. One day as thousand years. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is eternal. And so he dwells outside of time. But that does not mean that God cannot enter time and act in time. As a matter of fact, he did and he does. But he's not bound. He's not limited by time as we are. He's greater than time. He's serving a great God. And because God is spirit, we cannot see him. And that is why 
We also saw last week that he is invisible, which is very good for us because no man can see God's face and live. God, because he is one, is therefore also immutable. We saw that also last week. God cannot and will not change. What God says is forever. Those whom he chose to love, he will love forever. Those he chose to hate, he hates forever. And that's how far we came last week. And so this afternoon we will look at our glorious God under the team. Our God is infinite, limitless, in all that he is. And then we'll see that he is then infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, perfectly just, perfectly good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. So, when we confess that God is infinite, it's another one of those, those greatnesses that we cannot get our mind around, one of the mysteries of God. God is infinite. Then we do not mean, then we mean to say that God is not subject to any limitation. We already saw that in relation to time, God is without limits, and that's why we confess that he's eternal. Time cannot contain God. But God is infinite also in relation to space. God created all space. And then again, then space cannot contain him. And King Solomon already knew this, and that is why he said in his prayer at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, verse 27, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. And in Isaiah 66, verse 1, the Lord himself says, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So God is greater than space, than all space. And again, that does not mean that God therefore is not present in space. No, the fact that God is infinite also in relation to space means that space exists within him. God is greater than space, larger than space. So space, all space, exists within him. It's interesting. Not that long ago, I was watching some of those YouTube things. And they were talking about all the, all the stars and so on. And, and they started to talk about those black holes and that suck up all the stars. And then, then where are they going? What is behind the black hole? Well, kids, it's real easy to answer. God is behind the black hole. He is everywhere. He is larger than space. But the fact that all space then also existed in him means at the same time that God is everywhere present at the same time all the time. God is everywhere present because he is infinite. And that is why the Lord says in Isaiah 23, verse 23 and 24, 
Am I a God only nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God of far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? And the Apostle Paul, being very familiar with those passages, says this in Acts 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. We live in space. God created space. But our space is within him. And that's why we live and move and have our being. Great God we have. Totally awesome. It sounds all very difficult, and it is, because we cannot fully comprehend, we cannot fully understand it. And that is where we learned last week that God is incomprehensible, remember? But it is actually very comforting to us. To us who love the Lord, that is. Because now we know, because God is infinite, that he is present everywhere at the same time, all the time. And we, so we know he is always with us. Always. And this is boys and girls, why you, if you love the Lord, you don't have to be afraid in the dark or anywhere else because God is right with you. Doesn't matter where you are and how dark it is. There is simply no place where the Lord is not present. He is always with you everywhere. You always live in his shadow. No matter where you are, no matter how you feel. That's, that's, we read so nicely in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. It's everywhere. Boys and girls, remember that they said, if you love the Lord, you never have to be afraid in the dark or anywhere else. But if you do not love him, what then? Or if you purposely be disobedient to him, you see, then, then you better be afraid. That's the time to get really afraid. You do not love the Lord or you purposely disobey him. You see, when your father or your mother are not around, you can do things they cannot see. You can secretly do things that you're not allowed to do and kind of get away with it sometimes. Well, at that very moment that you do those things, God is seeing what you're doing because he's everywhere. He is actually right there. And one way or another, he will not let you get away with it. God is infinite. 
means that he is always, everywhere, all the time. Now that God is then infinite, not subject to any limits in all that he is, means that he is also infinitely powerful, unlimited powerful. And that is why our confession goes on and then also states that God is almighty. We are more familiar with that. God is almighty. Now the confession says this about God because God himself, of course, revealed this to us. He is all-powerful. Whatever in all of creation seems powerful to us or is powerful to us derives all its power from God. Because he is the all-powerful one. Without God, the sun would just go out. Things, it would not shine any longer. And then so on. So many powerful things in creation that we see and that people through the ages have been worshipping. But all those powerful things derive the power from God who is all-powerful. God himself revealed to us that he was all-powerful literally hundreds of times to be more exact, 232 times we can read in the Bible that God is almighty. Many times he calls himself the Lord of hosts. And by that title, the Lord refers to himself as the almighty God. When Sarah laughed because the Lord had just told Abraham that she would have a son, although she was actually too old, she was 90 years old already. Then she laughed and the Lord himself said on in Genesis 18 verse 14, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Meaning that nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is almighty. And, and that's also very comforting to us. For, for us, the Lord's people. How comforting? Well, I think that our Heidelberg Catechism does the best job of explaining this in the questions 26 through 28 of Lord's Days 9 and 10. And it is maybe a good thing for us that we read those. So let's look it up. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9 and 10. See what great comfort it is that God is almighty. So here is the question 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And then the answer says that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ, his Son, my God and my Father. In him, I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, 
and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. Next question, what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power. Whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The last question. What does it benefit us to know that God created all things and still upholds them by his providence, by his almighty hand? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence that our faithful God and Father in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. That is what we need to keep in mind when we watch what all is changing in the last years in this world. Nothing can so much as move without his will. So God is almighty and he has made many wonderful promises in this word and because of his infinite power there is nothing to prevent him from fulfilling these promises. And how many of those promises are already fulfilled? We can in the, read in the Bible about many, many promises made by God which no human being could have possibly kept. But they were fulfilled. So God is almighty. And now we have to move on, for there is also God's wisdom. God's wisdom is also infinite. It is without limits. And that is why our confession says that God is perfectly wise. Now, we talk about wisdom, then we need to keep in mind that wisdom is not only knowledge. It has to do with knowledge for sure. Just imagine that you would have a person who knows absolutely nothing. How can he be wise? But wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is actually the skill to use what you know in the best, in the best way possible. That's wisdom. Now, God is perfectly wise. And this means that... We have a pen handy, write it down. God knows, the God who knows all things always uses the best possible means in order to accomplish the highest goal. Good memorizing. And we'll say it again. God who knows all things always uses the best possible means in order to accomplish the highest goal. Now, why is that word memorizing? Because it is good to bring this to mind. When things in your life are not going the way you think they should be going. When in the future, 
you grieve about the loss of a loved one, when you worry about your loved ones, or when you see all your plans fall to pieces, when you watch your dreams shatter, when you're disappointed in friendships, when your children walk perilous paths, you need to know and then also heartily believe that God knows and he is even at that moment using the best possible means to, uh, to accomplish the highest goal. The fact that we cannot see that highest goal doesn't mean that it's not there. His thoughts are just higher than ours as the heavens are higher than the earth. So when those things happen, then we, then we need to pray for the faith that makes you believe that he will turn to good whatever adversity he sends to you in his life of sorrow. We should not ever doubt his wisdom. We should not ever put our little mind and start second-guessing his wisdom, which is infinite. So God's wisdom is infinite and his power is infinite, he's almighty. Whatever he wishes to accomplish is not limited by, by light, by, by, by lack of might or strength. And it's not just awesome that such a God encourages you, each one of you, to cast all your anxieties upon him. All of them. And that you may know that the moment you do that, the moment you say, Amen, He is going to use the best possible means to accomplish the highest goal for you. It's perfectly wise and almighty. For Him, there are no problems, only solutions. For Him, there are no questions, only answers. For him there is no distress or want or need, only glorious and marvelous and gracious providence. And he always sees you. And he knows you. And he infinitely loves all of his people. About his wisdom a little bit more. Who would have thought of a gentler way of turning enemies and rebels into children, as he did by the Holy Spirit working in them, working in you. Turn this from enemies, born enemies, into children. Of wisdom, kindness. Who would have thought of a better way to show that his grace abounds and his mercies have no end than he did by sending his only begotten son? Who, would have con- who could have conceived of an eternal future as glorious as that he keeps in store for us? Oh yes, our God is perfectly wise. And we, though we're seeing it dimly as through a mirror, we stand in awe and that adoration for him competes with our love and his praise pours from our lips as from a fountain which has its source in eternity. And this perfectly wise God is also infinitely and therefore perfectly just. God is perfectly 
just. Always, always will he reward those who fear him. For his people, people who believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, there will never be any, not even the most atrocious sin that he will not forgive because he has punished that sin already in his son. And because he is perfectly just, he will not and cannot ever punish the same sin twice. He's just also in that he protects his people. His justice is one with his faithfulness. And he has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He has promised, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He has promised, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, O worm Jacob, O little Israel, for I myself will help you declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. He's just, and therefore all his promises he keeps. Justice and his faithfulness belong so closely together. One comes from the other, one back and forward. And in our time that we live, we, we must very keep in mind, very much keep in mind and hold on to that perfect justice of God, because it is under severe attack. The justice of God is under attack from many of the ideals of postmodernism of our time. Ideals such as tolerance for whatever religion or whatever sexual orientation. Ideas such that there is no absolute truth, which then automatically means that there is no real good and there is no real evil. There is no actually right and there is no actual wrong. All these things now depend upon the feeling and the circumstances of each and individual person. We live surrounded by people, many of them nice people, who just thrive on this deceptive nonsense. But on the last day, all these people together with all those who brag that our Western world has liberated itself and has now entered the post-Christian age. All them, they will in great shock and bewildered horror hide for the face of him who already from ancient times have made clear what is right and what is wrong and what should be tolerated and what not and what is good and what is evil. He does not change and his words never fail and he is perfectly just. On that last day, God's justice will shine in all his glorious right and when he, the Son of God, calls to himself and rewards all those who belong to him and then goes on to judge those who did not want to belong to him. He will judge those outside the church and he will also judge those who all the life walked with one leg in the church and the other leg in the world. They will be sentenced. They will receive their just punishment. They will pay for every time they offended the Lord's little ones. With either their worldly foolishness and wokeness or with a false piety. And no, 
is not as so many tell us in our time that God's justice is sort of in competition with his love. His justice and his love are one as God is one. But it doesn't do away with the justice. It doesn't blunt the justice. It sharpens it. Because his love and his justice have to be one. Without love, there is no justice. For what love it is, is it that let injustice prevail? And without justice, there is no love. For what just being does not love what is good and what is righteous. Without justice being one with love, there cannot be mercy and grace. For without justice, no one would know what is undeserved. And mercy and grace are both undeserved gift of a just God whose love is one with his justice. In his love, God gave his only begotten son and in his justice, he decided to punish him for he had taken upon himself all the sins of his people and loaded with those sins he appeared before God's throne of justice. And therefore, it is now perfectly just to show grace and mercy and love to his people. In his justice, he will grant perfect justice to all who did not want to believe in his son. And then our confession concludes by proclaiming that God is also good and the overflowing fountain of all good. Infinitely good is our God. He is good in all that he is. His almighty power is good. His perfect wisdom is good. And his perfect justice is good. And ask any of the Lord's people of all times if they ever received anything of the Lord that was not good. And if you ask them about God's goodness, they, they will join the psalmist and, and praise the Lord and sing, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. Or they sing, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And the goodness of the, of the Lord endures continually. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercies endure forever. Our Lord Jesus, he taught us to pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And based upon the scriptures, then our catechism explains that with this we pray, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. God's goodness, it includes his justice, his love, his grace, his mercy, all of which have been so, made so clearly visible in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is infinitely good, and apart from him, there is not any good, for he is the fountain of all good. His goodness, it means that we, we may be here today, this afternoon, 
and hear all those wonderful things about him so that the leaving from here may go and proclaim all those excellencies of him who called us from the darkness to his wonderful light. And so this afternoon, we saw that God is infinite, unlimited in everything he is. He's almighty. Nothing is impossible for him. He's perfectly wise and therefore he's all-knowing and always uses the best possible means in order to accomplish the highest goals. He's perfectly just. He punishes all sins but never punishes the same sin twice. God is perfectly good in all that he is and he is the overflowing fountain of all good. Apart from him, there is just not any good. And this is our God. It is the God we confess. Upon this God, our faith is based. And knowing him in all those things determines how we think about God. How much we trust our God and how much we love our God and how much we adore him. So, what must we do? We must learn and remember all those excellencies which are so basic to our faith. And we must proclaim them to others. And if our lives are not going the way that we deem best, we, we submit to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. To him alone belong all honor and glory forever and ever. We must expect all good from him and say, if God is for us, who can then be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also graciously give us all things? We must praise him, always praise him, and we must trust him, for this God is our God forever and ever, and he will guide us to the end. Amen.